Welcome to the GBC Big Three podcast, a weekly podcast where we sit down and unpack three big questions raised from our Sunday sermon. I'm your host, Matt Willis, and co-hosting the Big Three with me today is the delightful Jodine Watling. Jodes, I feel like everyone's getting a little bit angsty now. We've been in ISO life for... you know, a couple of eight months. Weeks. Eight weeks. Eight weeks, she says. <laughs> Not counting. <laughs> Two days, five hours, yeah. 36 minutes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, who's counting? So like, I feel like we're all kind of getting to the point where it's like, oh, like this is annoying me. That's annoying me. Let's go the other route. What's something that you're thankful for at the moment? <laughs> obviously technology, being able to oh, connect amen. to people. And especially on Sunday, obviously it was Mother's Day mm. and my family are interstate. Yeah. So uh, I called in on a FaceTime call and was carried around the um, the, the event, like oh, the Mother's Day that. event like by different people. So I got shown, uh, my, uh, some of my relatives have got a new uh, house that they're living in. So I got carted around the house <laughs> on the phone um, and also sat and then talked to people for, you know, quite a while and then got passed around and saw the game of Scrabble they were having and saw <laughs> the different renovations that were going on. So it was actually, it was really beautiful. Yeah. I felt like um, Phil Dumpy in that episode of Modern Family where he's on an iPad <laughs> going around. Yeah, so it was just really, I, I'm so thankful not only for my family but the technology to connect with Mm. them during this time yeah and it's funny because like sometimes you feel like oh that's not the same but yeah I feel like we are having these moments where like this is actually really powerful and beautiful yeah yeah yeah. I love that yeah and to be carried by family literally yeah (laughs) (laughs) I want to go over there now let's move (laughs) it's like mum stop pointing at the sky (laughs) that was a common phrase I love that yeah awesome And joining us after preaching a cracker of a message on Sunday is the delightful Mark Coleman. Coleman, I'm going to ask you the same question. What's something that you're thankful for at the moment? I've been really thankful for the opportunity to be at home and just those incidental moments when you go and make a cup of tea or you go and make your lunch and I get to see my son sitting in his high chair, throwing his food all over the the floor. (laughs) Um, Your wife pulling her hair out. I know, yeah, and... (laughs) Yeah, and do my best to kind of support in those situations, obviously. But um, but also just really thankful to see those incidental moments of him growing up. And mm. he's in a great phase at the moment, just full of joy. It's great to be able to see that. Yeah, mm. no, I do love that. I've got to admit, I've similar experience, something that I'm thankful for. Like my role has me out at night a lot, um, running programs for our young people, which I love. Um, but I've, during ISO life, have been able to do bedtimes a lot with my kids yeah. and just sit down and read a book before they go to bed, lay with them as they fall asleep. It's yep. been super special. I love mm. those little opportunities that we've been getting. Good stuff. Let's all be thankful. I love that. (laughs) Well, this week, Mark spoke about Jesus as our high priest as part of our series in the book of Hebrews titled An Anchor for Our Hearts. And you can listen to that message again through our regular GBC sermon podcast. But today, as always, we're going to be looking at three big questions submitted through Slido during our online Sunday services. So, Mark, Jodine, let's get into the big three. Common, the passage that you spoke from in Hebrews 4 holds within it one of those classic Christian verses. You know, if churches made bumper stickers, it would definitely be one of the most sold bumper stickers, which is Hebrews 4.15. I'm paraphrasing here because... 
despite the fact that it's a famous verse, I don't know it off by heart. Um, you know, that whole idea of because Jesus, you know, we have Jesus as a high priest who um, empathizes with our weaknesses um, because he himself was tempted but did not sin. And so, you know, we use this verse as a beautiful encouragement. You know, we've got this God who is relatable, who understands um, the tension and I guess the, the brokenness of the world that we live in. And that really... Um, yeah, it's just a huge encouragement for us. But I think sometimes we can actually forget that, you know, this imagery of Jesus experiencing temptation is actually a, a learning opportunity as well. We have an example here of someone who was tempted. We know that he spent 40 days, 40 nights in the desert with the devil and he came out victorious on the other end. Mm. Like there is an opportunity to kind of look at him and and take some pointers, so to speak, yeah. um, which is exactly what our first question is for today. What can we learn from Jesus's own experiences of temptation and how he responded to it? Mm. Um, well, I'm, I'm glad you, you mentioned that, that passage of, of Jesus's temptation um, in the desert. And I'll get to that in just a moment. I think the, the, thing, the first thing to kind of talk about is in the context of this passage, I really believe that the kind of the temptation that is being referred to here is the temptation for, uh, to Je- for Jesus to step out of the obedience of being a high priest. Mm. And, and actually, you know, a number of the kind of commentators who speak about this passage um, explore that as a reason, you know, as, as the kind of the, the main temptation for Jesus is, you know, and precisely what we see, um, you know, being stood against by him as he kind of prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, as I spoke about, uh, about, mm. you know, saying, actually, God, not, not my will, but yours be done. Yeah. And so the temptation there is to kind of, to wander away. But yeah, as you mentioned that, that Matthew 4 um, passage about Jesus being tempted in the desert is a really helpful way, I think, of exploring the kinds of temptations that Jesus experienced conquered mm. and and I think some of the learning for us in that context as well and the, you know the first temptation that Jesus uh, receives in that is um, to turn uh, stones into bread to kind of satiate his hunger mm. in that space and um, and I just did a bit of reflecting on that and and that is almost uh, I kind of think that that's a temptation to turn to idols. Yeah. So in that space, Jesus is is offered something that will uh, will kind of provide him immediate relief and and satisfy him in that moment, mm. rather than actually stepping into the invitation which you know you know God invited him into, which was to to fast and uh, and to use fasting as a way to pay greater attention yeah. to God. Um, the second temptation that you know, Satan tempts him with is to throw himself off uh, the temple you know, and declaring that God will rescue you, you know, God will, will lift you up and he will use his angels to lift you up. And, mm. and I think the temptation there is, uh, is pride and that's the kind of um, the desire to take control. And again, I spoke about that on Sunday about you know, the kind of cleaning example, which has now become infamous amongst <laughs> our congregation, but just where our motivation is to take control and actually mm. to take control out of, of God's hands and, and put them, put it into our own and secure ourselves that way. And then I think the, the third temptation that Satan um, kind of brings to Jesus is when he, um, when Satan offers him the world and says, I can give you all of this, that actually Satan is kind of appealing to lust in that space. Mm. And that's that uh, desire to want what 
actually is not ours to take. Yeah. And uh, and I think you know when we begin to kind of dissect uh, that classic passage mm. about temptation and and Jesus's experience in that space, I think there's a lot of things for us to learn from that. And and I think that actually you know, whilst I've described those kind of three temptations of, you know, idols and pride and lust, that actually um, a lot of that comes down to obedience and mm. exactly what's at the heart of this Hebrews uh, 4 um, chunk in uh, in Scripture is that um, that what we're actually invited into is mm. a life of obedience where our wills are submitted to God. Mm. And, and, you know, and pride and lust and a desire for idols is... It, you know, is a, is actually about us being disobedient to God, yeah, you know? and in yeah, some yeah. ways, a lot of sin just kind of boils down to that, and mm-hmm. it's a desire to go our own way, to try and control things our own way, and um, you know, and to try and take hold of things that actually God is saying, like I don't want you to have those because I know better, what, mm. I know actually what you need, yeah. and so I would say that you know, in terms of learning and what what we can learn from Jesus's temptation is, um, and ha- his response to it is that ultimately when we take a moment to pause, we examine our lives and examine mm. the sin in our lives. If our response is not one of obedience to God, then we've got to come before God and, and pray prayers of confession and, and yeah. kind of bring that before God and say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry for where pride and lust or a desire to kind of secure myself in idols mm. is where I'm securing myself rather than in you. And, and I think, you know, um, when we begin to explore Jesus's temptation in that way, that's the kind of self-examination that it leads us to, I think. Yeah. And, you know, and our response to that. Yeah. Oh, I like, I, I I love your kind of reflection on that Matthew 4 passage because I've never actually looked at the sins that or the temptations that Jesus was confronted with. Mm. I haven't seen them in that light. And as you were speaking, um, that idea of desire for idols, I think our world is filled with subtle idols. Mm. Um, and we just, th- there is there is space. And obviously this is what we learn from Jesus where there's a necessity to sometimes reflect and kind of go, do I need to fast from this so that I can realign my focus to God, I think that's a huge, a huge challenge that, like, I know myself. As you were speaking, I'm like, oh, conviction. I feel it um, deep down because, yeah, I use I use my devices, I use my relationships as as idols ultimately that do mm. do kind of pull me away from obedience to God because they become the they become the priority. Mm. Um, they're where I get my my um, affirmation, validation, um, and yeah. it's not from God. And I wonder, you know. Yeah, there's definitely an invitation for me in that space of hey, what do I need of what do I need to fast to mm. to bring myself back towards obedience of God? So I and love I've, that, and I re- and I'm glad that you kind of raised fasting. And I think you know sometimes we think of spiritual disciplines as you know as things we must do mm. in order to be better, but but that you know spiritual disciplines like fasting, um, they are actually not things that we do that you know, mean that we're better, but yeah. they're actually things that help us align our obedience to God. Yeah. And fasting is absolutely that, mm. you know, to be used in that way because um, it means that we are recognizing where something can become an idol in our mm. lives, alcohol, food, cleaning, <laughs> uh, you know, or, or the use of technology and saying, 
I'm aware that mm. that has a tendency to dominate in my life. Yeah. And I want to invite God into that space and give that over to him. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Jodes, what are some of your reflections coming out of this? Yeah, I think the things that we can learn from Jesus is having an alternate vision of mm. what we're actually is being presented in front of us. Yeah. So obviously to take um, the example of Jesus in the wilderness, which is kind of like that classic kind of, he's a compressed 40 days down to about 12 to 13 verses. Yeah. So again, you're not going to get the whole picture. Yeah, it's, it's Reader's just, Digest version. It's the version. highlights yeah. reel kind of thing. <laughs> so I guess your first observation is like, that is not easy, mm. but you're just going to get the highlights. So I think you see actually Jesus having an alternate vision. Mm. and what the devil suggests. And then uh, Jesus comes back really with a counter offer as, you know, uh, reflecting the kingdom of heaven Mm. and what God the Father has taught um, him. So, you know, here's the bread. It's like, no, I can't live by bread alone, every word of God. So it's always having this idea of a hope beyond what you can see. Mm. And I think that's a really powerful thing for us um, to show us that God is sufficient in the scarcity Mm. and adversity and insufficiency we see, whether it's of ourselves, of the people around us or the circumstances we're in, say, for example, COVID-19. And I guess you also learn that um, temptation is this almost like a sacred gauntlet that you are invited to run. Mm. Never feels good. Mm. You want to throw yourself (laughs) on the floor and have a tantrum. Mm. But, you know, in this example of Jesus, you see him come out the other side and it's like, and he came back full of the Holy Spirit. Like, Mm. it's like he was on fire and glowing Mm. because he uh, made such an impact in 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 the area around him because of, who he was and what he'd experienced and what he'd lived and learned. So I I see um, temptation as hard as it is and as, I guess, uh, as it unravels you, Mm. it also builds you Mm. as well at the same time. So you just don't want to miss out on that opportunity. Mm. Um, Yeah. yeah, That's what I've got to add. Well, I love it. I love what you added. Particularly that whole... um, you know, having a, an alternate vision. I, like as you were speaking about that, I was like, I think the 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 linchpin in being able to have that vision, secondary to to um, what the world paints for us, is I think the difference is um, uh, a, a knowledge of God and actually a relationship with God. Yes, I think you know, uh, you know, and there've definitely been seasons in my life where my faith has been based on what I know of God. Mm. I can tell you the answers, you know, I've been in church long enough. I can, I can make this, <laughs> make this look good, um, so to speak. But that, that actually having that intimacy with God, that's when you get um, the clarity of that vision that what he's got in store for us. Mm. Um, and I think that there's an invitation in that as well to um, that, you know, that regular audit that we talk about, that intentionality that being on purpose of actually I need to make sure that my faith is not just what I know of God but what I experience of God my relationship with God my unity with God because it's in that expression of faith Mm. that I'll be able to get that that long vision Mm. that bigger picture and I think that's where our relationship is tested Mm. I mean just as um, you know relationships here you know amongst humans 
until you have a good fight, mm. you don't know yeah. really what your relationship is made of. Yeah. And when you go through those things, it actually draws you closer. So similarly, temptation, I guess, really puts the pressure on what do you actually believe mm. and does that actually translate not only in your heart and mind but yeah. in your actions and behaviour. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important because that um, differentiates um, between temptation and sin because obviously like sin draws us away from God but but I think sometimes we think the same about temptation but mm. temptation is an opportunity to drawing closer to God and I think sometimes we flee from well we flee from the temptation of sin but sometimes we think that temptation is a reflection of sin in our life mm. but it isn't necessarily it's an it's an invitation mm. um, yeah man it's it's a fork in the road, that's it, oh. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a hard one, but yeah. I guess one that we're all, all being confronted with mm. regularly. Mm. Mm. Good stuff, guys. Well, let's move on to question two. One of, this, one of the regular themes that keeps coming up in the book of Hebrews is this call to obedience. Mm. Um, and Mark, you've already mentioned that yeah. Um today already, um, you know, the author of Hebrew is trying to remind the audience, the intended audience to obey God, don't drift away. Um, by extension, we're challenged with the same call into obedience. And you know, again, as we've kind of discussed already, Jesus is painted as this perfect example of obedience. And, you know, the first thought that came into my mind was the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm. It's this raw, intimate moment of mm genuine fear on Jesus's part, um, but but genuine devotion to the will of God mm. as well. Um, but I guess the, the tension for us is, you know, in our call to obedience, when we look at the example of Jesus, what we see is that Jesus's obedience is demonstrated through, through suffering, mm. through horrific suffering. And we see that through the crucifixion. Mm. Um, and so that brings us to our second question. Um, if Jesus's obedience is demonstrated through suffering, is that what our obedience should look like? Mm. If he's the example of that? Mm. I mean, the unpopular answer, but the one I really believe is true is that ultimately, yes, mm. you know, that I, I, I don't have time for a theology that doesn't allow for suffering. Mm. And, and I, I think that if we are true and serious about living a life that follows Jesus, that recognizes he's walked in a way of obedience that is an invitational walk for us to, mm. you know, to, to do the same and to learn that life, that if we believe that that separates us from suffering then I think we've got a, a misconception about what it means to live the Christian life. Mm. And I, I, I think that quite often uh, we can slip into, particularly in, the, in our Western context, slip into a, a mindset of, well, I, I shouldn't have to face suffering. And, and that has actually come off, you know, centuries of, particularly in countries like the United States, the UK, even here, that there's, you know, there's a Christian heritage and mm. it feels like we've been afforded a position. And, and, and so actually the kind of the culture of Christianity has afforded us a protection from many of the sufferings that, you know, other nations will experience. If you're a Christian in, um, you know, in China, Iran, that, you know, you, you will experience greater degrees of suffering for mm. your faith. And I think that that 
kind of comfort has lured us into thinking actually you know maybe suffering isn't isn't part of of this this christian faith and i you know i don't want to overstate that but i um but i do think that's really important and and i think that we can spend too long fighting for our rights as Christians when actually I believe that God invites us to fight for the rights of the downtrodden and the marginalized mm. and, uh, and, and to kind of to face suffering and persecution. And exactly as Jodes has, has talked mm. about, that that is an opportunity for the kind of the perfecting of our faith. Yeah. And, um, you know, Jesus invites us into a life of obedience with him that I believe involves suffering. And I think the Bible paints this picture that that is the experience of so many characters, even kind of even in the Old Testament, the Psalms mm. is full of people who are, who are bringing presentations before God of, of their suffering and mm. going, well, God, this is awful, but, um, but yet I am still remaining faithful to you. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I believe that that's the life that God invites us into is absolutely to bring the pain and the discomfort that we experience as a result of suffering to him and to know that he he loves us and that he is importantly with us and perhaps even more importantly has gone before us yeah. in those situations but but i don't believe the promise is hey you'll ex- you'll escape suffering in this mm. lifetime that i don't see that held out to us in scripture you know and there is a time to come where there will be no more crying no more mm. tears no more pain and we live in hope of that mm. but um without it wanting to sound like a kind of a doom and gloom picture, (laughs) I think if we have an expectation that our Christian faith will lead us through suffering, we will deal with it much better when it comes along. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, you know, you talking about how culturally, um, particularly being in, you know, Christian established countries that it can kind of lure us into this sense of security. Mm. Um, I actually think that what we're experiencing now is a, is moving away from that. Our, our society is definitely not um, driven by Christian values anymore. And there is this now separation of church and state. Mm. Um, and, and now we're finding ourselves in that tension. It's kind of getting people like it's, it's surprising people, but as you said, like, this is this is a part of of our Christian walk, and I think you know we do need to expect that because from the very beginning, since the very first sin, the world has been at odds with God, mm-hmm. and and we are ambassadors of Christ, and so we we exist in that tension, yep. in that renewal, like we're on the front line, and so we should be expecting expecting that that conflict, yeah. so to speak. Yep, yeah, absolutely, Jadine. What do you have to share? I guess, you know, back on from what Mark has just said, if you are human, you're going to suffer. Amen. (laughs) I think that's a really hard lesson to learn. Mm. Irrespective of what you're doing, if you've got a pulse and you're on planet Earth, you're just going to suffer at some point. Mm. Um, And that's a really hard message to hear because I guess in our Western world, we sell convenience, comfort, uh, you know, and anything outside of that Mm. seems barbaric you know Mm. um but and it's also i guess subjective about what we're going to suffer through what i might suffer from Mm. might be different 
to what you guys because you have a different tolerance for things. So, mm. it, you know, that's, it's really quite an interesting dynamic. But I think sort of just even tying back to question one, it's having a vision of the hope that is before you mm. um, and having a firm grip on it. Why am I going through this? And, that, and I guess that's part of that journey of unraveling yourself is what do I believe in? What am I standing for? How do I get through this? It, it really um, pushes you to the edge to mm. understand who you are and who God is as well. You know, I think about Martin Luther King as a Baptist minister who was one of the four figures of the uh, civil rights movement. Yep. He had to have a pretty clear vision, a dream uh, mm. to see yep. what, what it was, if it was worth going through, the mm. persecution, the death threats, his execution, um, you know, his family being taunted yep. um, after a, a, a lifetime of oppression. Mm. You, you better mm. have a compelling vision mm. of what is worth all that suffering. Yeah. And um, so I think that's really important. I think about a mother giving birth. Mm. You've got to have a compelling vision <laughs> to not only have the child, but keep the child, mm. you know, in a sense of like, because it's hard being a parent. Mm. Um, it is challenging. It is suffering. Mm. But at the same time, there's this great joy that comes with it as well. So it's yeah. just this strange dichotomy in our life that the things we suffer through are often the best things. And I'm reminded in Hebrews 12, as we'll get to that, you know, through this series, that Jesus... Um, for the joy that was set, was set before him, he endured the cross. Mm. So it was like a purely joy thing. So even though there was suffering, and yes, we will go through suffering, it's actually for the joy of what is to come. And that could be you being a better person who's more resilient, yeah. able to deal with things. Mm. Uh, it might be seeing your family transform. It could be your community mm. or it could be the world being transformed mm. as in Martin Luther King's case. And I, I think about in Romans 5 where it talks about you know, we actually can glory in our sufferings mm. because yeah. we know that suffering produces perseverance. Mm -hmm. Perseverance brings character yeah. and character brings out hope. Mm. So it's just this incredible space, a sacred space, which is so messy, so human. Yeah. Colouring all out the lines. Mm. <laughs> Hot yeah. mess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so transformative. Mm. My um, personal proverb is you never grow by sipping pina coladas by the pool. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Put yourselves in some temptation and some suffering. Whew, yeah. You will grow like nothing yeah. else. Yeah. And I think, I mean, uh, you know, um, we kind of, we joke about that. And I think, um, I do, I do think that we, we have to be careful about avoiding sort of a martyrdom complex mm. and and, he, and I think the active pursuit of suffering yeah. may not be the most healthy of practices no. but but I <laughs> Definitely think not. but if you look at your life and you think actually I am I'm experiencing no degree of suffering you know and 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 obviously that's going to look different mm. for the kind of cultural context you find yourself in but if there, if I'm experiencing no denial of self um mm. you know denial of my desires then actually I think you know, that can actually be another tool that can help us audit our, our lives. Yeah. This, this thing that often comes up in the big three is that, um, you know, if I'm experiencing no degree of suffering in my life, then I have to ask myself some serious questions about my obedience and, mm -hmm. and the kind of life I'm, I'm walking out, um, you know, kind of following Jesus. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good stuff, mm. good stuff. Don't think there'll ever be a, a final answer in that piece, though. Um, I will caveat the third question. Um, this probably could have been one of our special edition, the fourth questions, <laughs> but I threw it in and I feel like I'm throwing you guys under the bus <laughs> in so doing because it is it, it is a doozy. And, and like I said, I'm not sure if it's one that we will 
answer with absoluteness, um, but I, I think that it's an important one to discuss, and I'd, I'm keen to hear your guys' reflections as we unpack this. And now mm. that I've spoken kind of all cryptic about it, I'm actually going to do it. What is it? Ooh, <laughs> intrigue. Um, so something that continues to come up throughout Hebrews, the author is really illustrating um, the the duality of Jesus, his humanity and his divinity. Um, and, and I think as we look at the person of Jesus and the character of Jesus, we've got to hold these two aspects of, of who he is, his very essence, um, in, in relationship with, uh, with each other. But there's a tension in doing that because, you know, how much humanity is there in Jesus and how much divinity is there in him and how did, how did that work together? And I think that came up again in your message, um, Mark. You know, you, you focused in, the Bible reading was um, chapter 4, verses 15 to, uh, 14 to 16, um, but you then kind of worked through the opening parts of chapter 5 as well. And, and there's a section in that that talks about, you know, Jesus was made perfect. And, and the first thing that stood out to me in that was, does that imply that he, there was a time where he wasn't perfect and that there was a process of becoming perfect? And, and what does that mean? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for Jesus? And yeah, so that's, that's just the tension I think that we exist in. And, and so it brings us to our third question, this infamous third question that I've amped <laughs> up so much. Oh gosh, Matt, just say it. <laughs> say the question. What is... The dynamic between Jesus having both a human nature while also being this perfect high priest. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. There well, it is. Um, I had a sneaky look at the questions before, uh, <laughs> and and even I had to look up what, what this this term was. But we're touching on the hypostatic union, uh, which is very good. <laughs> the the basically the existence of God as fully God and uh, f- the existence of Jesus, sorry, as, as fully God and and fully human. Mm. And um, and I, and you're right, like. The, that is a complex thing and mm. we aren't going to solve it in no, five, five or so minutes no, <laughs> as part of the big three podcast. But I think, um, you know, you, you talked about how later on in, in chapter five, um, uh, the, the, the author of Hebrews talks about, um, you know, Jesus kind of learning obedience and, and working out, mm. you know, that, that perfection, learning perfection. And, and I think, um, you know, we can, we can still understand the development, the understanding of that, because if Jesus was, is fully human uh, and yet fully God as well, he you know he starts out as in perfection. Uh, you know he is a perfect uh, example, yet he's still learning that out, learning mm. what that means because he's fully human as mm. well, and so um, he's he's grasping you know, a greater awareness of of who it is that. He is as mm. well, and and so I kind of think the language there invites us to recognise that you know Jesus still learned things, mm. and it didn't mean that he wasn't perfect, but he mm. still had to learn and gain, gain greater awareness of what that meant for him. Mm. Um, and so I found that a kind of a helpful way of of understanding that. But I think the the kind of the most important thing to recognise here is that because Jesus is fully human. Um, he experiences the temptations that we will experience, and, and as we've talked about in uh, in question one, uh, you know, he f- experiences the full range of those in the ways that that we will as as human beings. And obviously, contextually, they're very diff- 
different and you know there was no online pornography uh, mm. in you know uh, in that time and uh and the kind of the access to um i don't know weapons of mass destruction or whatever it might be yeah. you know there's all of those mm. uh the, the kind of the modes or the outworkings of um you know how sin might be realized within our world mm-hmm. uh, were different for Jesus, but actually the core of the temptations are the same, and Jesus faced them, and because of his perfection, because he is fully God, yeah, he did not sin, and he did not uh, fall fall foul to them and and it's this perfection uh, and that makes jesus's sacrifice. Uh, complete, whole, um, fully sufficient for us. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so Jesus in his kind of fully human state faces these temptations, does not sin, and therefore is able to offer the perfect and all-sufficient sacrifice mm-hmm. for us, for our sins. That means that... Um, you know, it's his his work on the cross is eternally sufficient for yeah. all of humanity, and no one else could do that. Um, and I think you know, so this the fact that Jesus was fully human means that he can experience all of the temptation, but because he is also fully God and therefore perfect in his you know high priestliness, mm. um, means that he is able to. Uh, you know, fully and all sufficiently mediate this relationship between us and God. Yeah. And, you know, it is, it is a complex idea. Yeah. Um, but, um, but, I, but I do think, you know, kind of at, at the heart of that, there is something for us to kind of grasp. And, mm. and that is that, you know, that there's nothing that God doesn't understand yeah. and there's nothing that God hasn't faced in, you know, in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, and yet, um, he's like he he's faced that and and kind of conquered it perfectly mm. and and there's great i think there's there's great hope in that and i think um you know that's that's an imagery that's kind of reinforced when we speak of jesus as the spotless lamb and um and i i love yeah this just as, as you talked about that learning of obedience how um that's also hopeful for us as well mm. because that invites us again back into that journey of, of obedience that, you know, recognizing Jesus learned perfection, Jesus learned obedience, and that doesn't mean that he wasn't to start with, but it also uh, gives us a kind of an entryway, a, a doorway, an invitation mm. into learning that kind of obedience yeah. um, and learning what it means to live a life more like Christ day by day, mm. moment by moment, um, because because Jesus has kind of has shown us that. Yeah. And and I think, you know, the Christian faith is often talked about, I think it was C.S. Lewis who talked about it, uh, well, I can't remember exactly who it was, who <laughs> talked about it being um, a long walk in the same direction. Yeah. And, um, and, and that really is what this life is. Uh, it's about continually submitting our wills to God and learning as we are seeing in Jesus what it means to uh, submit our wills to God, to have kind of perfection outworked within us until we reach, you know, the culmination of mm. that in the new creation. And yeah, I think, you know, there's something uh, beautifully human and yet extraordinarily divine mm. in this fully human nature of Jesus and also his perfect role as our high priest. Yeah.
Awesome. Mm. Jadine, big question. Your thoughts, please. <laughs> I guess it speaks to connection. There's two big words that stand out in Hebrews chapter 4 as we read through it in this passage. Um, and the first one is empathy. Mm. Uh, and empathy is one of the most powerful human practices that anyone can take on, um, especially now in these polarized time yeah. where everyone's in their own camp and yeah. hating on people that aren't <laughs> like them. Yeah. Empathy is the ability to step into someone's shoes and see the world in a different way. Mm. And I think when we see leaders or people who have power step into the trenches with us, mm. whew, that says something to you. Yeah. And I think this is God Almighty through in Jesus mm. stepping into the trenches, into the humanity of us yeah. to experience life with us, to empathise. And that's why I think that passage talks about we have a great priest who can empathise, mm. like he's been there, he's done that with us. And I think that's so powerful. But the purpose of that empathy is not just because Jesus is a good guy, yeah. it's actually to build confidence in us, which it then talks about. Mm. And, I mean, you think about, if you were the woman at the well who society had shunned and this Jesus comes up and tells you about your life and, yeah. and, um, and then says, you know, go and see no more. And she's like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but she was seen and mm. she was known by God. So it's that empathy built confidence in her or also the um, mm. woman who was caught in adultery, which I find so funny because it's like, it takes two to tango. Yeah. Why was there just a woman caught in adultery? Um, just hating on That's the women. That's a different podcast. Um, <laughs> that's all right. And again, Jesus saw her, defended her. Mm. Can you imagine not only the empathy, but the confidence that yeah. that built in her? So I feel like that dynamic of God, of Jesus being divine yet mm. human is to build connection, yeah. empathy, confidence, connection yes. um, that we actually need. And again, it's Jesus having that alternate vision mm. of like, I want to see us humanity restored to mm. me. I'm going to do it in a way that's not based on their works and stuff. It's like, it's all on me. Yeah. I got this bill. <laughs> uh, and he didn't compromise. Mm. He didn't compromise. Mm. Uh, and I think that's his obedience. It's a commitment to us yeah. um, rather than actually just being compliant to yeah. God. Yeah. Commitment. It's, that's a deep relational thing for yeah. us. Mm. And I think, uh, no, just as you were speaking, that really summed up the importance of, of both Jesus being human and divine for me because the humanity creates the empathy and empathy creates a safe space for transformation. And then the divine paves the way and gives us the path of where that mm. transformation can take us, mm. which is towards God. I think beautiful, beautiful little action there. Mm. <laughs> and I think I find increasingly as I get older, I think when I'm young, you're sort of like, oh, the power of God and God's so big and so mighty and so strong and, mm. you know, sing all the songs about it. But it's actually as you get older and transition into more of your own humanity mm. that you recognize the humanity of God and that you can empathize yeah. and that we can have confidence. Mm -hmm. And I guess you become more enamored and committed to God when you can see that humanity and that vast experience in that space yeah. as well and that he accepts you and loves you compassionately mm. in that space. Yeah, love it. Mm. Fair to say, Hebrews is a mammoth of a book. Like yeah. the the ideas and the the opportunities to learn and the the calls that are coming out from this book, uh, they're confronting but life changing. Mm. So mm. thanks so much for your reflections, guys. Loved hearing from you. Loved having you. Thank you. 
If you want to be a part of the conversation, make sure that you join us for our Sunday services online at gbconline.org.au and that you snap the Slido QR code before the sermon to get involved. Just a reminder for those of you who are listening to our podcast today, we are now also filming The Big Three and that's available to watch on Wednesday nights at 7pm at GBC Online. If you've enjoyed The Big Three today, be sure to give us a star rating and subscribe so that you can stay up to date with all future episodes. So thanks for joining us for this week's Big Three and our deep dive into God's invitation for us all. Remember, there's no thought too small, no question too big. 